Welcome to a new edition of Fresh Off the Board. Today, we are delighted to uh, interview uh, a student I knew since 2012-13. Uh, no, I think prior to that even, but he graduated from Mount Allison in 2013 with an honors degree in economics and a concentration in finance. Uh, since then, I haven't been in touch, so it'll be great catching up with you, Nachiket. It's uh, interesting that few students and early on in my career chose to go to Canada, and you were one of those. Uh, it's a leap of faith, and I'm sure it'd be an interesting journey to cover. So tell us a little bit about Mount Allison and your early days, what your expectations were when you knew your friends were going to the U.S. or other countries. Uh, what is the decision like, and how is it settling in? Yeah, um, it's a good question. So I think when I when I look back at what was really going through my mind, it was I just want to get away from home, which I think is a lot of what a lot of 17-year-old kids probably experience. But from a university perspective, I was fortunate where I knew what I wanted. I knew that I wanted to be in a smaller liberal arts school. Uh, I knew that a large classroom with me being a th one, in, one in a thousand in a lecture would probably not be the best way for me to learn. And that really helped me narrow it down. And Mount Allison kind of fit the bill perfectly. Uh, it My largest class size, even in my first year, was maybe 40 students. They were ranked really well. Uh, and more than that, I actually had a couple of friends from my high school in, in Delhi um, to that actually came with me, and that was that really made a big difference. It helped me settle in, helped me adapt for sure, and it also helped me uh, stay close to home, stay close to my roots and values, but also be able to branch out in a safe environment. So th that's that's what Mount Allison was like. And uh, it's funny, I have two younger brothers, and they both went to Mount Allison after as well. That's great. So that's kind of a huge testimonial for the school. Uh, when you compare it with, say, liberal arts colleges in the U.S., which are mm -hmm. a lot more expensive versus Mount Allison, uh, what do you see as benefits, uh, trade-offs, other than just the money? Do they equate with the quality of resources, guidance, uh, just the feeling of that abundant mentality with people who are kind, generous with their time, which you don't get to see maybe at a large public school? Yeah, um, I think in terms of resources in general, most smaller universities in Canada have a little less resources uh, on the academic side, but the quality of education, I would say, is at par. Um, so depending on whether you're looking at a program which relies heavily on, say, the state-of-the-art equipment, the, a Canadian, you know, a smaller Canadian university might have last year's stuff as opposed to this year's stuff. But in terms of the repertoire of professors and, and most of my professors in my third or fourth year are ex-Harvard and Yale uh, senior professors that actually came there to teach full-time. Uh, so they're able to attract it. But I also think that when you compare Can the larger Canadian institutions, they are as abundant in their resources with um, with most American universities, I, I, I would say. My wife actually went to University of Toronto, um, and she's now still finishing up her PhD there. Um, uh, but uh, Mount Allison specifically, and as far as other liberal arts schools go, I think there's a lot of similarities. Students are, or TAs and, and RAs are very generous with their times, and so are professors. In fact, to date, uh, I actually my Slack on my phone is most busy on my Mount Allison alumni group, which is not specific to my year, but specific to the last 20 years. And it's fascinating. It's really a beautiful 
uh, community that they've been able to create without having to do a lot. Um, no phone calls, soliciting for donations. It's just very organic. Um, and, and that, I think, is the beauty of a liberal arts school, regardless of where it is. That's great. What about the prep for jobs and pre-professional? Because you took a sort of path, which is economics, finance, which is anyways directed towards internships, jobs, etc. Was that easy to sort of work your way through in the Canadian job market? Mm-hmm. So looking back, I think in hindsight, it was not. It was actually very difficult. And that's the one thing that I would say. Um, liberal arts schools in Canada do not do the best job of prepping you for the job market. There's a higher focus on learning. Um, and larger institutions have things like job placements and co-op programs and things, whereas small schools don't. Um, so that was definitely a challenge. I think I got very fortunate where over four years of being in university, I figured out what I was good at and kind of what I wanted to do. And for me, I always, I, I, I figured out by the time I, I was in my third year that the economics behind healthcare in Canada uh, is something that I wanted to be a part of. And I always knew that I wanted to be part of the fintech slash healthcare space in some capacity. Uh, and I was able to get into that very early on, which was fortunate for me, but it did take a lot of attempts and tries and rejections for sure. Um, more so than I think on average. I, I actually remember tabulating some of the job applications and I, I'd hit over 250 applications and barely had a handful of job interviews. Um, but it all worked out. I think in the end, uh, it, it really, it's full circle. Circle. I find myself now in a situation where I lead a fairly large team uh, that spans a few different continents. Um, and um, I, I meet a lot of people that are at that, at that point where they're graduating university and they're just really scared about getting a job, especially during COVID and pandemic. And um, it works out. It really does. Somehow or the other, people figure it out. It might take longer for some, but everybody is okay in the end. Great. I think that's where connections and uh, knowing where to find help and talking to people sort of counts. Uh, but in general, did you like sign up for internships or some jobs on campus? How did you build your skills of working sure. with people in different environments and also applying what you've learned in school? So um, by the time I was in my second year, I had managed, because a lot of the professors are very generous with their time, I was actually a research assistant every summer, starting second summer onwards, uh, working on uh, different publications for my economics professor uh, in the environmental economics space. Uh, he was the only guy that had budget, to be honest. That's why he hired me. Um, and I also just wanted to stick around in Canada for some of the summers too. Um, and by the time I was in my third year, I was a TA for seven courses in anthropology, uh, math, uh, some of the intro courses, and of course, all the intro econ courses as well. Uh, and that was really interesting because I actually got to do a little bit of teaching, not just grading and, and all of that. I actually got to give lectures. And that was, I think, looking back where I realized that, first of all, I had some of the technical knowledge that I quite enjoyed uh, and learned from in school, but I also really enjoyed speaking in front of large groups of people. And that was another thing that I hoped I would be able to do one day. And it was it was a good sort of inkling. And when I graduated, I didn't really look for any internships. Um, I looked straight for a job because I thought I wanted to, well, I knew that I wanted to build up a bit of a resume before I pursued a master's degree. Super. 
in terms of again just ending one more question about the job market and getting jobs uh canada you know many of the people the argument is that it's a smaller economy and it's second cousin to the big daddy's country next to you uh is it really true that the job market doesn't throw up as many opportunities in finance and sectors like that the ones you know uh compared to the us and students do not get those even if you have the pr and the connection with the pr so the question is two parts where you know where you yeah. get to work towards your pr but the job market might not really be there to support your decision yeah so there's two factors to it um so in most industries in canada i the, the biggest moving part is in the us um and i've done a lot of work in the us over the last you know 8 years uh, or 7 and a half years um there's uh there's a lot more competition for each job because there's a lot more people uh and the cost of doing business in almost any industry in the us keeps increasing every year um which means that as the population of the country increases people are willing to work for a lot less money in canada yes there are less jobs but when you look at unemployment rates per capita it's significantly lower than the us and the other moving piece to it is your ability to work in canada if you go to university uh, again uh, the economy sort of thrives on a lot of immigrants and especially the student population so they they welcome them as guests more than anything you can work there for 3 years no strings attached whatever job you want and maybe 70% of the jobs that you probably get regardless of the industry will qualify you for a pr which you get in 3 months so it, it it's really it's flexible in the financial industry banking uh insurance uh, and the tech space canada is becoming the hottest um sort of country to do it for a couple of reasons one is from a tax per perspective it's great the second is their labor laws are really good uh if you were to compare um someone working on wall street versus someone working in toronto's version of wall street which is bay street they work about half the hours uh and they make about the same money and the cost of living is approximately the same if not a little bit lower than say new york um coupled with better healthcare and in general a lot more yeah. being given out to people That's yes uh, exactly so from that from a job availability perspective i think that it's all about it's not about the number of jobs or the amount of opportunity it's about the amount of opportunity divided by the population and if Canada has half the amount of jobs while it has one-tenth the population so that that ratio actually works out super so now something about your like getting your jobs and now you mentioned before prior to our call was uh, something that you recently switched jobs mm -hmm. and uh, so tell us about the industries you worked in how's your journey been professionally um, yeah it's, it's it's been interesting so i um about 4 years ago i made a pivot from working in a very traditional financial banking institution uh to working in tech startups uh not tech startups that are five people and you're figuring stuff out tech startups that are kind of at the series a to series b stage um and really helping these companies go from 
they've got a cool product and they know what to do with it. They've got a few clients and going from there to being, you know, a, a thousand or 2000 employee company in the span of 12 months or 24 months. So um, it's been an interesting journey. I work for an organization called League, which is essentially revolutionizing uh, healthcare and benefits in the US and Canada. Uh, and people you work with there are like KPMG and Lush and like these massive like conglomerates and I would provide these organizations advice on their global total reward strategy. Um, and after that, I started working for a company called Dialog, which is a leader in Canadian telemedicine, which has really, uh, it's exploded over the last five years in Canada. Um, so I took them from having about 300,000 users to about four and a half million in, in 10 months. And then COVID hit. And that was interesting. Uh, and they basically came to me and said, look, you know, we, we wanted you to grow something. You've grown it. Now we need someone to manage it, but it's COVID it's tough. So if you want to stay, well, you need to take a 60% pay cut. And I said, that's not really okay. And, uh, surprisingly, I actually started employment 15 days later at another company, uh, which provides, uh, again, international advice on total rewards, um, spe specifically for multinationals that are HQ'd in another country. Um, so, and, and it's, a, again, a tech sort of based company. So I've made a pivot from being in a very traditional kind of a healthcare space and financial institution banking space to working at that cutting edge of tech space that blends some of these skills together and, and, and with a huge focus on healthcare. So, yeah. So that's great. I think uh, there's so much to learn. I think just adapt be quick on your feet, know where you can sort of contribute the most and then work towards uh, the next goal. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating. I'm sure I'll be able to maybe connect you with students who are walking your path or have uh, real aspirations. Uh, so we probably will do a webinar at some point where we'll include you to talk about fintech, health tech, and things like that, or any other industry you think could Absolutely. be useful. Super. Absolutely. Great. Now I'm just going to switch to... Uh, a few rapid fire questions <laughs> just to change the pace of things. Uh, I've already figured out some of your strengths, but if you were to describe your strengths in three adjectives, what would it be? I think I'm a smooth talker, but that might be uh, me having a bit of an ego. Um, the other one is empathy. I, I've always been good at connecting with, with people and human beings. And the third one is that I'm really really ambitious and i view it as a as a huge positive super i remember your days when you were in rishi valley school and then moved to sriram Aravali, and that was yeah. a shocker for you i guess right and you learned yeah. to adapt but what do you think rishi valley i'm just plugging in rishi valley yeah. here uh had to do with some of these traits and ambitions and you know things that you have <laughs> It's not a competitive school. They say that. <laughs> yeah, it's really not competitive. It's quite laid back. Um, I think Rishi Valley taught me how to be grounded. Uh, most of the students that go there are there on some version of a scholarship or financial aid. And very early on, you're taught to treat people as people and not people for how much money they have or what their parents do. And, and at that age, you know, grade seven, eight, nine, you're really impressionable. And these things kind of, uh, they they're just there in, in our world. And it was a beautiful place to learn that that's not really how it goes. They, they would do things like you could not wear a t-shirt that had a company logo on it. There were no uniforms. So it was, it was almost like it didn't matter. You just, you had friends that were 
you were friends with them for the right reasons and not, nothing and no other reason than that. So I think that's what Rishi Valley taught me was how to be grounded for sure and how to live life simply. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but Rishi Valley it doubles as a bird sanctuary. So we would have bird watching every Sunday. Um, our, our idea of fun was climbing a hill. You know, it, it was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I actually got my first cell phone when I was in grade 11, which is not which normal. Is when, you back in, when you were back in Gurgaon. Back in and, you know. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so how, and, how is that and, shift from uh, Rishi Valley to Sridham, urban, suburban? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, Consumer sort of setting. <laughs> it, it really caught me off guard. It really caught me off guard. And I think I got phenomenally lucky where I just immediately connected with the, with two or three people in my class because I was grade 11, grade 12. Your class sizes are really small. Aravli has, I think I had maybe 20 people in my, in my commerce class at the time. And um, I just, I was able to meet just one or two people that I just really connected with. And uh, they kind of taught me the ropes of being in, in uh, buzzing Gurugram or Gurgaon at the time. Uh, and uh, we're still friends today. One of them actually came with me to university. So that was fantastic. His name is Benoit Desai. Um, and he's in Colombia now doing his PhD um, in Columbia University. Um, and um, yeah, so, so that shift was definitely interesting. And maybe a good maybe some good people to ask is my parents because i think they got to see the brunt <laughs> <laughs> right so, right no, yeah. they, they must be very very proud of you now i think uh, seeing a goofy teenager and now <laughs> this for me is a big change too and it's fantastic um so, okay now next question is uh, what do you think how would you describe learning from a big failure or mistake can you think of something yeah don't let it get you down and don't think you're stupid. Um, I think, I almost think that the later in your life that you have a really big failure, the harder it hits you because you probably think of your, you, your self identity is more cemented. You, you know what you're good at uh, more than at, at the age of 30 than you know at 28 or at 25 or at 19. And when you have a big failure, the later it happens, the harder it falls and the harder it hits you. And, and I've had some really big ones. I've had some ones where early on in my career, I didn't want to get help from my parents financially. I wanted to make it on my own, but I wasn't making enough money. I was living in downtown Toronto. My rent was 4,000 bucks a month. I didn't know how to do it. I made some bad decisions. And don't doubt your gut instinct to survive. I think that's a really big one. And don't doubt your ability to learn from, from your mistakes, even if it's really bad. I know it's, it sounds extraordinarily cheesy, but that's the only way because without doing that, there's a bit of a downward spiral that happens that won't help you in anything. And, and I don't think anybody would, given a choice, I don't think they would want that for themselves. Well said, well said. Okay, now I think uh, you know about this whole COVID and how it's changing plans for so many students and you know even for people at work like you have adapted mm -hmm. very quickly. Uh, what would you think is the future of education where people, if gatherings are not gonna be permissible, or the norm anymore, classes, labs, um, discussion groups. Where do you see this headed online versus in-person colleges grappling with endowments and you know, sort of sinking into the endowments and not knowing if they'll survive? Mm -hmm. uh, what is the general, I mean, your gyan for say, for students uh, who would be suffering well, well, look. I think I, I think if you're a student that's in in university, um, I think that's a tough one, 
because there's so much ambiguity and there's a ton on the line and it's difficult to sit and and take a step back and be rational about what can or can't happen and then take decisions based on it what i do know is that the number of companies that have made a decision saying that they're closing their office their physical location and they're moving to um being online in perpetuity is huge salesforce which is like a massive organization has just said that they've given all their employees the option to work from home permanently forever um there, there's a ton of examples intel is another one that's about to do that as well uh, a ton of pharmaceutical companies with labs are the only exceptions i think to it you know uh, so i think definitely the future is going to be more virtual and what i think it's going to force people to do is it's going to force people to learn how to communicate efficiently uh, from being in a meeting to sending an email to messaging someone on slack or or whatever on whatsapp whatever method of communication it is it's going to force people to be more concise to the point from a professional perspective from a learning perspective this is where it gets tricky a lot of people i think they absorb information in different ways some people are readers some people can self-study some people like to be taught some people like the physical interaction i think it's going to force a lot of people to start learning things and consuming content in a way that they might not enjoy and that's going to take some growing pains it's going to be tough and uh, I've, I've noticed it for myself uh, i've noticed it for my wife who's like i said she's doing her phd right now and uh, practice what and figure out what mode of learning suits you in this new world as soon as you can because that will help you set yourself apart when time comes for you to when the time comes for you to get a job it will fantastic yeah i think uh, with that uh, i think sort of ray of light and sort of message for young people i would like to end this session but it was just fantastic to see your growth journey from where i've known you from and meeting you now thank you so much nachiket and uh, we'll be in touch Take care. Bye.